0: Well, good morning. Thank you for bearing the cold and getting your ice skates out and skating here. How many would say, man, my neighborhood, it's just a sheet of ice? Yeah. So our, our son graduates this May. We're hoping the ice is gone before graduation. That's, that's what we're shooting for. Hey, the Monday after the National Football League season ends is usually called Black Monday because teams that are losing fire their coach, and the owner will say, we want to thank Coach Smith, he's done a great work and blah, 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 but we feel like the team needs to go another direction. Okay, that is owner speak for saying what? Yeah, we've been losing, and we want to win. We were 4-12 and 12 last year, and we would rather be 12-4. and four. So we're going to bring in a coach who will change the direction of our team. Well, that's a little bit of what Jesus wants to do. He wants to change our direction. And we're going to talk about how or in what way He changes our direction. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it, as Emily mentioned, to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 10. And ask wrestle with this question, in what way? In particular, one specific, what way does Jesus change the direction of our life? Now we are spending six weeks, the first six weeks or so of the year, focusing on the gospel because it is the foundation, it is the cornerstone of why we're here, of our faith. And to do that, we are basing, I'm basing this sermon series on a, a book called Basic Training for Walking with Jesus, Mike Hendricks wrote it, um, it's a... Study a guide, you can go along, it's 21 days. Uh, If you don't have a copy, I encourage you to pick it up. It's out uh, out at the information center, $7. Please, if you don't have the money, take the book. Um, It's not that critical that you pay for the book. But it is critical that you understand the good news of the gospel because it is foundational for everything we do and everything we believe. Our passage, then, starts this way. It says, uh, You were, so this is what you were before Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we were all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as rest, even as the rest." Uh, that, that's a mouthful there. And it says, before coming to Christ, among other things, we were dead, enslaved, and condemned. By nature, children of wrath. Dead. Well, Andy, what are you talking about? Uh, a dead person's unresponsive. They, you could talk to them but they're they're not answering you can touch them they're they're not they're not responding they they are unresponsive and before coming to Christ we were unresponsive to God 1997 hope and i went to a language school in costa rica and we went to a little church and second trimester we're, now we've been going to that church a while and and they always introduce new people. Well, at the beginning of the trimester, uh, new students come in, so the pastor's up in front, and he says to the church, he looks out in the church, he said, you know, there's, there's a, and of course it's all in Spanish, there's a, a group of people here right in the front, and he's talking about right here, um, they're probably students, I'm guessing they're from the United States, and we just want to welcome them. And I, I was sitting over there on the left, and, and those guys were within my vision, and I thought." You have no clue that He's talking about you. You're, you're unresponsive. You don't understand. You don't respond to Him. And I thought, you know, probably a trimester ago, that was me, Now we happen to sit over in the left, and I'm sure he's set up. Over here on the left, we have a nice couple. They're probably students, and uh, they're probably from the United States or something like that. Yeah, I'm responsive. You're not responding. Before coming to Christ. God was alive in the way. He's always been. He's omnipresent. He's speaking. His spirit's at work, but, but we're unresponsive to Him. We were enslaved. We walked according to the prince of the air. Oh, oh we were freely making decisions. We just didn't understand. That someone was influencing our decisions. In reality, we weren't free. We, we, we thought we were. Uh, this came home to me. My junior year in college, my roommate got a serious girlfriend. And all of a sudden, everything changed. What time he ate dinner, when he washed his clothes, when he studied or didn't study. And, and he would say, no, I, I'm freely choosing that. But as someone who could sit back and watch, I thought, yeah, but she's... The reason you're making every choice you're making. And see, we as Americans, we're we're free. But we don't realize is uh, we're being played by by the prince of this world. And the freedom we think we have is an illusion. And then third thing I want to part of, it says we we were uh, controlled by by the lust of our, our flesh. I came to faith my freshman year, February 1979, and so, oh, April or May, I don't know. It's towards the end of the semester. This is South Texas, so it's really hot, and uh, uh, the shorts were really short, if you catch my drift, and there were a, a, a bunch of uh, guys sitting at the table, and you came in the cafeteria here, and, and you, you passed this way to go out to eat, and and the guys just said, let's let's just look and lust." That's what they said. And I would come to faith, and I was kind of new in my faith, so I thought, I'm not going to preach condemnation to them, but I'm just going to, not look, I'm just going to, here they come, and I'll just kind of look forward, and, and then every oh, and, and so one of them sees, he says, oh, Andy, oh, is it, is it Father Andrew? That's a, a derisive term. And they knew I'd come to faith. You can't look, can you, because your religion won't allow you. And I said, well, actually I, I can. I have the choice not to. You can't not look. Because you're enslaved to your passion. Oh, oh, they said, oh. You know, and then the conversation kind of ended there. But I thought, who's really free here? When, when you and I are enslaved by our passions, maybe it's a physical thing, maybe it's a material thing, maybe it's a, 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 a passion for, I, I, I want to be recognized, I want to be popular. What, what, will, what will the typical high school, college, young adult do to be popular? What, what will they compromise if that's what they have to have? Uh, this is a picture of who we were. Before coming to Christ. Monday night was the, the national championship game. And before they, they played the game, they always sing the national anthem. Christian singer Lauren Daigle did it, so I was particularly tuned in. But whoever sings the national anthem, towards the end, it builds to a crescendo. And it says, or the land of the, What? land of the free. And I get what they're talking about. We're externally free. So you or I can write a letter to the Lincoln Journal Star or wherever we want and criticize President Trump or Speaker Pelosi or we, we can criticize any politician we want and not worry about reprisals, not worry. And I get that. We're, we're, we're externally free and for that I'm grateful. And for the people who serve to make that happen, I'm very grateful. That somebody isn't going to come through this door from the state and arrest us. I'm very grateful. So we're externally free and, and that's, that's great. But internally, we're not free outside of knowing Christ. And, and really, there's no government, there's no constitution, there's no document, there's no form of government, there's no, nothing can bring that freedom except Jesus. That's the direction we were going before we knew Christ. Uh, that's why we sing the song... You brought us back to life. And and we sing that and celebrate that. Now before moving on, I want to ask, I want to let that set in for a minute. Do you believe that's how you were before knowing Jesus? And and if you're a person who's in in process, I just got to be honest, this this is what God says about every person. You think you're free, but you're not. And some of you have friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors, loved ones. They're good folks. They're nice people. They're good workers. They're good, fam- They're good, 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 good. But do you believe this is their condition without Christ? You don't have to answer me. But in your heart, what, what do you believe? This is what God says about every person who doesn't know Jesus. And this is why we want to talk about the gospel. Because if Ephesians 2 stopped at verse 3, it'd be a bummer. If the thought stopped there, but it doesn't. Verse 4 starts with the word but. But signifies a transition. It says this, all this stuff's true, but God... See, he's going to change the direction. Remember the owner, he wants to change in direction of the football team? He, but God's going to change our direction, being rich in mercy. Mercy is withholding what you deserve. All of us deserve an eternal separation from God because of his great love. And to understand, love for God is not an emotion. It is an action. I am going to act in your best interest, even if it costs me. And that's what Jesus did by dying on the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, did what? What did his mercy and love do? Verse 5. Even when we were dead, remember, unresponsive, enslaved by nature, children of wrath. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. That's why we sing that song. and That's why it's an upbeat song. You brought us back to life. Is that worth celebrating? Absolutely. Yes, it is worth celebrating. That God has changed the direction of our life. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what God did for us. He changes the direction. And what direction is it? He changes us from being dead to being alive. In what way does He change our life? He moves us from death to life. Just like that with the gospel. In 1871, uh, Chicago was decimated by a fire. What's interesting is the the fire started on on one part of the city and crossed the river and swept to the other side where it did the majority of its damage. You ask, how does a river, how does a fire cross a river? Well, the Chicago River was so polluted, the fire just went right across the top of it. If, if that isn't enough evidence, in the 1880s and 1890s, over 10,000 people in Chicago died of typhoid or cholera. And the city officials thought, well, we got a health crisis here. So they built a canal from Lake Michigan into the Chicago River. And when they got that ready, they opened the gate, and uh, water flowed down from Lake Michigan into the Chicago River. It pushed it into the Des Plaines River, into the Illinois River, and eventually into the Mississippi, and swept it down to the Gulf of Mexico. And all of a sudden, that river became a source of life. It was fresh water for the people. The, The Magnificent Exchange is what they called it. Do you realize that's what God has done for you? He's he's made a change in you and me. We were destined internally for death, rebellion to God, separation, eternal separation. By nature, children of wrath, dead, unresponsive to God. Couldn't hear him. He changed that, moved us from death to life, the great exchange. Why? Well, here's part of the reason. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus and, and you've experienced this change of direction, you're going to be a testimony throughout the ages to the grace of God. If you're going to go, wow, that's a great God. That's a great God. Our former neighbors of Principal for LPS, but on the side, he likes to uh, rebuild things. So, years ago, he got this old beat-up truck. I mean, he stripped it down to the bare thing, and, you know, he was watching YouTube videos how to do it, and he rebuilt that thing. Man, it's beautiful. And obviously, we're not neighbors anymore, but but whenever I'd see that truck, it, it was a reminder man, Randy's really good at this. It's a testimony to how well he works. Well, you're going to be a testimony, if you're a believer in Jesus, to how well God works. People are going to step back and look at you and say, throughout the angels, everybody, what an amazing God. Now, we've moved, but my son, my younger son is still friend's, with his son, they're about they're your part in school about six months apart in age, and and guess what? The son likes to refurbish cars too, and and so they were working on one, and and Drew gets in on the action a little bit, but he was telling me about the last one, and and uh, I said, you know, did, did Randy get involved with this? Well, he wasn't going to, but he just couldn't help himself, and I thought it'll be really good. <laughs> if if I, I've seen his work, he he's and 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 so you're. Kind of like that truck to other people, people see you and they think, yeah, man, man, that, that God's really really something. And if I, if I want a, a reclamation project on my life, if, boy, if He can do that in yours, maybe, maybe He could do it in mine. If He could do that kind of work on the truck, maybe He could do that work on this 30-year-old car. You are a testimony to the marvelous grace of God. So in verses 8 and 9, we see the totality of God's work. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one should boast. You've heard me speak before. You you know I got involved in this dorm Bible study as a freshman in college, and I just thought I was going to... Do good versus bad, and, and it was very evangelistic. And, and it took me six months. I, I, I heard the gospel every week, and the guys would stop by. And, and two guys came to faith, and they were getting baptized. and I want to get baptized, and the guy shared the gospel with me again. And, and And this verse, these two verses, are what stopped me. And and in particular, at the beginning of verse nine, talking about salvation, uh, it's it's not as a result of works. I had to decide, do I believe that or not? Is, is this the word of God? Do I believe God is is speaking through this? And if I believe that, then, then I've got to chuck my theology of I've got to be pretty good and I'm not, not so bad and this and that. And I've got to say, it is totally by the grace of God that I am saved through faith. Nothing I can do. That's the the message of the gospel, what, what do you believe? Do you believe this? That is by grace through faith. I, I refer to Mike Hendricks here. He talks about grace. I think he says, God cut you a sweet deal that you didn't deserve. You believe that? Do you believe that? I mean, you, get, you don't have to answer me, but I, I'm asking do you, you believe that? Through faith. faith. Faith always has an object. What are you, what are you believing yet? Believing that the finished work of Jesus is sufficient. Believing that God keeps His promises that He said in these words. That God tells the truth. That you can base your life on this word. I, I, you, you don't have to answer me audibly, but, but do you believe it? Grace through faith. That's the basis of the gospel, not as a result of works. Now, there is a lifetime. Okay, I've been at this 40 years, February 79, so I'm I'm going on 41. And I'm still growing in my understanding of what the grace of God means for me. But that would make sense because God's an infinite God and I'm a finite being and I'm going to be doing this throughout eternity. But here's one place where I intersect with the grace of God and I'm growing and continue to need to grow. When I was a kid and my dad would get mad, it was kind of like, oh baby, it is going to take him days. Sometimes it was, I felt it was justified, other times it wasn't, but, but that didn't matter. And He was usually gone to work before I got, went to school but I got home at 3.30, and I knew he would get home 5.15 or 5.30, so I had about an hour, hour and a half in which I could, I was okay, but then I needed to retreat and be up in my room until I came to call for dinner, Then I'd I duck down and say as little as I can, and I just didn't know. I didn't know how he was going to respond. Is he still mad? Is he still going to come after me? Is he still going to bring it up? Is he going to swat at me again? I, I didn't know. And I lived in trepidation until he had cooled off and he decided it was time we would resolve this, and he would quit being angry at me. I still sin, but do you know what I do when I sin with God? I think I better go hide, (laughs) better stay away, let God cool off. Okay, God's omnipresent, He's everywhere, so there's no place to hide, Right? That's bad thinking. And I I need, and I'm growing this, I need to bring my life in line with what God says. Is this true? For by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of works. And it was never about your works. You were always coming to me on the basis of grace through faith. So there's a need to confess my sin. But I don't have to go hide from God. I don't need to, I wonder wonder how long God's going to be mad about this. No, no, he he finished his anger in Christ Jesus on the cross. That's just me, where I'm growing in my understanding of God's grace towards me. Do you know it's infinite? And and, and I would encourage you to to step into it. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but he's got grace beyond measure. It's infinite, and you can step into that. Some of you maybe have never made that decision. And maybe this is new to you, like it was my freshman year in college. And maybe you need to think it through. But maybe this is the day where you say, you know what, I, I'm going to take you at your work. By grace through faith, now there's a lot of works. So and I'm going to believe. That's, that's the foundation. That's the beginning of a relationship with God. If you never made that decision, I invite you to do it right now. That's why Christ died. He lived the life you were supposed to live in full submission to God. According to the plan, died on the cross and rose again. That we, we might... Make the great exchange from death to life. Now, now I said it, it works is never to the basis of our salvation, but it is the result of our salvation. And Paul talks about it in verse 10. For we as are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the expectation is as God gets to working in your life, you will be involved in good works. Of course you will, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Good works absolutely has a place in the Christian life. It's not the basis of salvation, but it is evidence of salvation. So that's why we're doing things like the Campbell CLC. That's why we have a car care ministry. That's why we have a meals ministry. There are people who are saying, you know what, this Jesus who's done a work in my life, it absolutely demands my goodness towards others that I might be a representative of Him. Absolutely, but never the basis of our salvation and evidence of our salvation. Those of you who know Jesus and have come to Him by grace through faith, not a result of works, are you available for Him to work through you that others might come to know Him? That you might be that vehicle, and people say, Wow, God's done an amazing reclamation work there. Maybe He could do it in my life. Would you show yourself God through you, through allowing Him to bubble up a lot of good works in your life? Uh, years ago, uh, the movie Seabiscuit came out, told about in the race course in the 1940s, and really Seabiscuit was the dominant horse in the 40s. But at the beginning of the movie, uh, Charles Howard is a millionaire who's going to get into horse racing and he's interviewing a cowboy trainer named Tom Smith. And Smith has taken on Seabiscuit. And Seabiscuit had broken his leg and was scheduled to be euthanized. So Charles Howard said, why, why, why are you doing this? And Tom Smith said, hey, you don't throw a whole life away just because it's banged up a little bit. And The rest of the movie is how he trains them, and Seabiscuit and eventually beats War Admiral, Admiral, who was the, supposedly the top horse that year. But I love that line. You don't throw away a whole life just because it's banged up a little. You know, on the outside, people may look at you and me and think, good gracious, what does God see? And what God sees is, man, you don't throw away a whole life just because it's banged up a little bit. Aren't you glad we serve a God of grace? In what way does Jesus change the direction of our life? Jesus moves us from death to life. Let me pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the the good news of the gospel. It's a change of direction. We were going one way, and and you reversed our course by grace through faith, not as a result of works. Lord, that we would take hold of that, and we would not let go. Lord, some of us have been uh, living that uh, a lot of years, and I I pray we would be men and women who continue to step in and grow uh, in your grace. Uh, Open our eyes to the infinity of the resources you have in front of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.